UX Podcast Episode 203. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, Pat Axbom and James Royal Lawson. With listeners in 182 countries from Togo to Kenya. We've got our own little variation of the 10-year challenge for you today. In our 200th episode, Lisa asked Per and I about the future of the podcast and and UX. Uh, In that show, we gave a brief answer about design and and I focused quite a bit on legislation. Today, though, uh, we thought we'd expand the topic a bit. And in our own 10-year challenge, we're going to take a look towards the year 2029. And to help us do just that, we're joined by Bruno Figueredo. Bruno, for the past 10 years, has been curating and organizing one of our favorite conferences, the UXLX conference in Lisbon. Uh, And I believe, I mean, doing that and having attended as many of those conferences as we have, we understand that he has actually hand-selected a lot of people from a different broad, wide areas of industries and people that may not even have identified them as UXers. And in that sense, for me, I think Bruno has even set the stage for some of the paths that people have chosen. I know that Alistair Somerville did not identify as a UXer the first time we met him at UXLX. And uh, our most recent uh, interview that we released from from the past UXLX with Catherine McElroy with the Arduino prototyping, that's also quite, like it's, he's, he's pushing the boundaries of, of UX, which I, kind of love what, what he's doing with that conference. Yeah, I didn't um, recognize myself as a UXer until I started going to UXLX. That's true. So, <laughs> so absolutely. I think yeah. uh, Bruno, Bruno has been feeling the pulse mm. of our industry and mm. reading what people want to learn about and hear about for the past decade. So mm. it feels, feels a good choice to join us in this topic show. So... We're we're all kind of three we're three middle aged men now. We can we remember as far back as two thousand and nine. I I think I I still can. It's not uh, very far away. You're, you're very confident, Bruno. Well, it, it's kind of kind of blurry though. I mean, it's I mean, from two thousand and two to two thousand eleven, probably kind of blurry. Well, it does get blurry because you don't you don't remember exactly when certain things did happen. But two thousand nine, what we back then? We've so we've got we've got iPhones. We've started to get smartphones and iPhones, um, but we've not got as far as, res- as responsive web design, have we? No, exactly. No. But at least we're not designing with tables anymore. The, what, the most of us have moved on from tables. And Flash, and Flash by then as well, um, that's pretty much dead by 2009, I guess. Uh, well, if you're talking iPhone, I mean, iPhone kind of killed Flash. Yeah. There were lots of debates in the beginning because iPhone didn't support Flash. So I think, I mean, YouTube used Flash around that time. Still in 2009? Yeah. Right. And I think it lingered on for quite a bit after that as well. But as far as the way, I mean, how were we, you know, how were we working back in 2009? Um, well, I, I think uh, the, the, the main, uh, one of the main differences is that nowadays we, um, we use um, mobile devices quite a lot more. So <clears throat> maybe the... Um, uh, accessing the web uh, these days might be primarily done with mobiles rather than desktops, and I think 
um, that's quite a big change. No, you're absolutely right there, Bruno. I mean, I know oh, back in 2009, for one, I wasn't calling myself a, a, UX, a UXer of any form. And we, were, we weren't doing mobile first and we weren't testing websites primarily on mobile or even at all on mobile. Um, mm -hmm. so, so absolutely, the, 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 the way of working in that sense, I think, has changed a, a, a massive amount given where we're putting our, our design focus. I think that's probably around the time when sliders start, started becoming popular. Sliders on the homepage. I mean, the carousels. Yeah, big banners. Yeah, carousels, exactly. The hero images. Yes. Yes, uh, I remember one of the, um, uh, the, the first uh, workshops we did at UXLX was uh, something akin to that uh, about uh, using uh, uh, rich interactions like uh, we would uh, uh, call those days. So we, we were just starting moving on from uh, a w a mostly static web uh, where uh, you, you had to uh, click on something to refresh the entire screen and moving into an asynchronous paradigm. In 2009 we were just getting to that and that changed the web uh, immensely. Yeah, of course, because around that period we were, we were thick in the whole um, IAX um, um, time of things, weren't we? Where we were, yeah, just getting to the point where we could dynamically update pages. Yes. But you, Bruno, but you, Bruno, you. I mean, you've you've got, a, well, I suppose, kind of a unique situation that you've you've been spending ten years now um, watching the world of of design to 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 see what we're all interested in learning, so that you can pull in people for for UX conferences and workshops. Um, so what, what do you think kind of, apart from, apart from the mobile side of things, what else have you noticed has been a, a big change in what people are after? I think uh, in the beginning we were all uh, kind of, um, almost everyone that uh, was doing UX kind of landed into it coming from uh, all sorts of different places. So the discussion uh, for the, the the few the first few years was uh, focused about uh, what do what do we do what are we <laughs> a little bit mm. existentialist and I think uh, well, when we stopped uh, doing that we started to have more specialized roles and uh, and new things emerged like uh, service design um, like a content strategy so people started focusing on um, uh, on different specializations of the UX field and I think we're still um, um, we're still doing that uh, yeah. the, the the field is splitting into ever more specialized uh, streams so I think so that they, I mean that pair and I are acutely aware of, of of the whole thing about how how much conversation there was around who we are, the existential side of things. That's what's inspired the whole start of the podcast. But to, uh, that, I don't think that has gone away. It's just that we've got, we've, we've got other things occupying our time, I think. Um, so it isn't the most dominating of, um, of topics nowadays. I think we were, all, we, were, we were trying to figure out who we were. We were also struggling for more power. Uh, I was looking at my LinkedIn profile and, and realized that 2009 was actually the year that I attended a UX intensive training course by Adaptive Path. Uh, that was run in Berlin at that time. Uh, and it was design strategy and design research, and it was about taking uh, your design practice to the next level. 
So I think before that, we were basically just providers of a design to someone else. But whereas we now have matured so much that we're actually in charge of the design uh, in another way. So it's the maturity, uh, it, it, I think it's a big difference. And that's also what's allowing us, of course, to split into smaller and smaller segments that everybody's becoming more and more specialized around these issues. Yeah, you've got the, the fact that 2009, um, I, didn't, I didn't work in any agile teams or I didn't, I didn't work iteratively, I guess, with developing things. I mean, every single thing I guess I worked on back then was sit down, work out what we wanted um, and then start producing it or go through the laborious process of choosing an agency to come and do the actual end end oh, production yeah. i mean you didn't you, know, you, you didn't just get on with it yourself you had to go through that uh, procurement process mm. um of find someone to, and then and then then that whole dance of kind of have they done the right thing have they done the wrong thing who's going to change it can do we have to pay for them to change it <laughs> um oh so that that's a massive difference you must notice that too bruno running an agency um Yes, I, I think in 2009 we were, um, we as a community, we all agreed um, what the right process uh, of working would be, uh, and it took um, it took a while until we we all started effectively doing everything that we preached back in back in those days. So I think that uh, that's one well, one difference. I don't think that uh, at least uh, the, the the market was fully ready to accommodate for everything that we wanted to do for the entire process that uh, that, that that we were outlining those days. Mm. I mean that's that's probably still true. I think organisations, at least ones I've come into contact with, they they find it challenging to, for example, buy sprints rather than buy an app or buy a website um it's it's a it's a it's a challenging concept to 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 get your head around paying for as an organization i think and isn't this just the case i mean uh, we're just stretching out the maturity some practitioners and organizations will still be around where we were talking about 2009 now whereas others have moved on quite far to actually having their whole in-house ux organizations with a product manager on top of them uh, running it like its own business but within the company yeah. well that was probably a good time then to 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 flip our 10-year challenge mm. forward so you know now we're in 2029 we've 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 jumped in our time ship and gone forward where, where are we at now what's what are the major changes we expect to our 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 work as UXers um, will we even be UXers in 10 years time <laughs> hey, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think so. I think the, the term established itself, uh, even though the, the meaning might be slightly different. Uh, I think that uh, in in 2029, um, what we will be uh, focusing on will be different kinds of interactions. I think. Um, uh, in the past, uh, in the past ten years, uh, the, in the interaction on the web evolved a lot uh, to a point there. Um, I don't know if there is much more we can do to um, to increase the quality of interaction on the web uh, from a technology standpoint. But uh, in ten years, I think uh, we'll start seeing. Uh, 
um, entirely new new ways of interaction uh, that go a little beyond the desktop, and uh, we're start we're starting seeing that now uh, with uh, with the focus on. Uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. I think in 10 years, augmented reality will be um, a big part of our lives. Um, if we can manage out the weight of um, uh, uh, the, the interface to, to access it, I think that's the, the, the largest drawback for that kind but, of technology. But do, you, but do you really think it will be, I mean, I mean, I think virtual reality. Um, I don't think that will take off again. I think that's the the 3D. I mean, we we talked to um, we, we've talked about it in previous episodes um, about the, the usefulness of augmented reality. That that perhaps is going to be um, something that takes um, takes hold in the workplace and so on. Um, but um, I th I'm I'm not sure exactly how the the mass adoption side of augmented will be. I think I think there we're going to be landing in more. Um, very specific applications to to literally enhance something a little bit. Um, I, I don't see us all walking around with Google Glass attached to us. Well, um, maybe not that, and, and and certainly the devices that we have nowadays in the market uh, um, are big and cumbersome to use. I don't think people will lug that around the, around with them. Uh, but I hope there, 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 there will be new devices emerging that will be streamlined, lighter. Uh, as with you, I don't believe virtual reality is something uh, that, um, that has much of a future be, be besides games. But, uh, but augmented reality is really where, where I see we could uh, advance the science of uh, interaction. Uh, I, I was just watching a movie on Vimeo the other day called Sight, and uh, it's a it's a short movie, and um, uh, but but it has a, a vision a vision similar to what I think will happen uh, in a couple of years. So if you have a high definition screen right in front of your eyes and you can project anything onto it, you, you don't need. Um, uh, sc physical screens anymore, and um, I just revisit uh, the, uh, a few days ago a video that Microsoft did ten years ago. You know, one of those vision videos they put out every now and then, yeah. and uh, and it was mostly about screens and paper-like screens, but screen you you touching s physical screens everywhere. Uh, I don't think um, we'll actually get to that because the, the screens might dematerialize de uh, sooner than we expect with, uh, um, with, the with the advancements in the field of augmented reality. But the, 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 as I said, the biggest drawback is finding a good interface for it, some uh, really light glasses or something because uh, uh, I don't believe it. The, the answer is uh, using your smartphone and pointing at things and looking kind of like uh, to, through through a keyhole, like we do today, because that's cumbersome. But when you when you start thinking about materializing screens and uh, maybe feeding information from IoT devices uh, uh, into into that as layers of information in front of your eyes, I think. Um, 
Uh, I think that's where we're, where we're heading. I can see myself walking around with a contact lens. I mean, if you could fit this technology into a contact lens that takes you a second to put in and take out, uh, certainly. But I, I'm also afraid of where that will take us. I'm always imagining stuff. So yes, it's great if I'm walking to the bus and I can see a timetable for the bus in front of me or... Uh, if I can look at my child and see vital signs like their pulse and fever, uh, but also then what will happen in the workplace if I'm looking at people and I can see uh, their names, their age, uh, uh, <laughs> their heartbeat. Will I detect, oh, is that person lying? Will I start wondering things like that? Where will the information, how will we make sure that people can stay private in a world like this? Because face recognition will also, of course, be adopted by any type of screen that we have in front of us all the time it's just where do, where do and we I think stop? that that ties in with what me and you were saying um in mm. episode 200 when lisa asked us the question that we we mm. we answered with legislation was the the main thing mm. that we thought would kind of well i thought anyway would come and, and affect mm. us and thinking about what we're saying now um well Bjorn, you said about um, that we maybe reach a technological limit with with what we can do with interaction um but um, but there, I think we've 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 still got a huge amount to go when it comes to accessibility. When it comes to the interaction, where we may have designed mm. stuff really nicely, but implementing it, we're we're falling way short. And then when we start talking about augmented reality, and and screens and the visual side of things, um, there again, we're you know how will we be um, wanting or forced to make things inclusive going forward? So in ten years. Will you be? You know, will will society want to have um, a, a, a dividing piece of technology, something that excludes whole swathes of society because it's just not possible to to use for other for certain groups of people around us? Well, uh, it's certainly a problem for vision impaired people, but uh, for, for people with other disabilities. Uh, just imagine that they could be talking with uh, with someone and being able to read uh, instant captions on what they're uh, talking. Um, so, in in some ways, yes, it can be uh, a little more dividing, but also more inclusive to to, to other uh, to other people with disabilities. But I think these that kind of thing, though, where we where the technology becomes um, kind of a, a layer. Um, something that is a service layer. Um, it's not actually something we never, maybe will have to design or will have to work with designers because it, it will be, you know, instant captioning will be a service layer that we just you know, employ um, in in the things that we create. Um, maybe even some of the augmented aspects that we're talking about, whether it's augmented vision or augmented hearing, some of these things maybe will be will be service layers. So they're not what we're going to be working with as designers. I am not sure if I entirely agree with it, uh, because I think um, uh, in the future, designers uh, will be more involved uh, in, in, in business processes. Uh, so the, the experience, and we're, we're starting to witness that nowadays, um, the, 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 the business layer of the services we design uh, uh, automation uh, and uh, um, <clears throat> artificial intelligence, I think that that will need to be designed as well. Uh, so everything that happens behind the screen um, uh, will, will need uh, to be um, 
designed in the way that it's not visual, but uh, it's part of the service. Part of the choice architecture, yeah. really. What choices will be offered the user? When you say automation there, that makes me think, so what parts of what we we are doing today will be able to become automated in the future? Oh, yeah, that, that that's a good point. Mm. Um, generative design mm. is, um, is one of the phrases that's used, where um, machines um, produce many, many, many design variations um, for us and perhaps even choose or suggest the, the, the right one or we maybe then help them decide the final one. Historically, I mean, we, we've been pretty bad at understanding human behavior. Maybe we can design a machine that can understand humans better than we can understand ourselves. Depending on what goals you're setting for that machine, what will be the purpose of the machine? And that's, that's the things... <laughs> that keeps me awake at night. Who <laughs> th will decide the value system of the machine? I, I think one of the, 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 the large differences that we're walking uh, into is um, technology is ever more personal. Nowadays, if someone sees you using your mobile or your tablet, it's a personal experience that they're witnessing on the side. They don't know what you're doing. Uh, they can only assume. Uh, that maybe you're reading, you're watching a video. But when we move into personal augmented reality, you have your own world there no one, that no one can peek into. So it's a, it's a never more personal experience. The layers of information that you choose to use, they both can be projected into the same physical space, but uh, they would be two different uh, realities. I mean, that, that, that kind of world does creates all kinds of issues to do with um, perception and um, understanding other people's perceptions and how they're differing from your own. Um, we we already have that problem now. Where you know the whole the, the thing with the dress, uh, with the, sorry the audio sound with um, um, Laurel or um, or what's the other? It's Laurel or. Yeah, I can't remember. I see. I can only I can only hear Laurel, so I don't I don't know what I can, I've forgotten what the other one is. But the whole thing about perception. Yanni, I mean, it, Yanni is the Yanni, other Yanni, Yanni, yeah. and, and Laurel. Yeah. Um, so you know, if everyone's everyone's got these variations of reality, then you know you're going to have conversations where you don't truly understand the 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 variation of reality you're talking to, as perceived by the 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 other side of the conversation. But I'm getting into I'm getting into kind of like some of the practical challenges of stuff that we're, we're, we're imagining. Um, I mean, how um, we've we've talked an awful lot this last few years about um, chatbots and 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 voice design, or voice um, voice interfaces. Um, what do we think about that in ten years' time? Have, we we have been talking about voice interfaces since the early '90s, or even before that. Uh, mm. Bill Gates has predicted it many, many times that next year, next year. My problem with voice interfaces is that I live in a family uh, where everyone can control everything. And it's just, I, I wouldn't walk around if everybody's just talking to the devices when they're walking. I can't see where it will be used. I, I have such such hard, hard trouble, uh, so much trouble understanding the application of voice interfaces. I mean, I still use it. I mean, for turning on lights, for uh, scheduling an appointment in my calendar. You, sure, for, for, for like command and control, stuff like that. I can see a use for it, absolutely. I think that as, as uh, we evolved in, the, in that field, I, I think so, some people and, and some cultures are, um, are not as comfortable with talking to machines as, uh, as others. 
And uh, I, I think the, the main thing is that we're still very much aware that we're talking to a machine, particularly when the uh, when machine doesn't understand you. Um, mm. So uh, if, the, if that technology gets better, I think that the people will start engaging more with it and the, it won't feel as much as we're talking with a machine. I actually think maybe um, it's, the, it's the text side of this which will be um, a bigger thing in 10 years. I'm basing this on the fact that there's, there's report after report now that's saying about how the, the younger generations are um, the less likely they are to to ring people to talk to people to have to have voice conversations so like any interaction with a with a an authority or a or a company that they, they prefer to do it via writing rather than talking so perhaps 10 years time we're going to see um uh, there'll be a huge shift of conversational transactions will be text-based i think so i i don't know if it's the asynchronous the nature of it in a world where we're ever more busy and uh, doing things asynchronous communication fits us better than synchronous modes like uh, like the telephone so when you you say there bruno you say in a world that is ever more busy. Going back in time, we thought we would come to a place in the future where we wouldn't have to work as much. And it seems that we're working more and more. So when we're trying to predict the future, what are we actually trying to do? Are we trying to think of the things that would help us work more or work less or be more comfortable or less comfortable? It's, it's, for me, there's a, something wrong in, in how we, do we want to create more stuff? And for what purpose? What is it that people will actually be demanding of designers in the future? Will there be a backlash where people understand that they have been manipulated by designers for many years in the sense that people are using cognitive uh, uh, tricks to actually force people in a choice architecture fashion, force people or at least make choices that may be better for them, harder to make? I'm I'm seeing that people will actually be more wary of technology in the future because we've been treating people in a bad way. I think so too, Pat. And I I um I think we're going to see we're we're already starting to see the the um the information backlash. Or rather, I think people's people's knowledge is starting to rise about what information is potentially gathered and and potential and and how stuff can be used. Although it's it's an incredibly complex thing for for a lot of people to, to get their head around mm-hmm. what you can do with information at scale. Um, but, you know, but, but looking how people are reacting to Facebook and some of the big operators, Google and, and so on, that, you know, I, I wonder if we, we will see, um, what, what I'm hoping is that we'll see something like um, um, Tim Berners-Lee's solid project or even Microsoft have launched their own kind of idea of a, um, the idea where um, your information will be uh, uh, be contained in a in an entity, um, digital entity, which you then control how this is distributed and, and loaned out to to other parties, um, rather than the model we've got at the moment, where Facebook and Google and and Amazon basically own every single bit of data about you, and they decide effectively who who by and large gets to to play with it. If that situation has has come into play in 10 years' time, then that will make a massive difference to how we um, conceptualise things that we're working on and how we design things that we're working on because it will flip the model, the data model. And uh, a a few years ago, I think it was uh, Clay Shirky that said um, that... uh, um, there is no information overload, there is only filter failure. That's one thing um, 
that we certainly need um, is to, to have be be better filters for information in the future. Uh, I think that's going to be a big challenge. And a kill switch, a kill switch for my technology sometimes when I want to break. So there was this excellent piece of uh, <laughs> tech that I actually saw the other day. Uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, it was tweeted by Alan Cooper. Uh, it was a device that you actually put on top of your Alexa and it takes over and it emits a sound into the Alexa microphones that Alexa can't listen in on everything you're saying. And then you can set your own activation phrase for that device and that device will translate that to activating the Alexa, uh, oh. which means that you're actually <laughs> blocking Alexa from doing what they designed it to do and you're deciding what the Alexa will do for you. Uh, so I think that type of technology will be interesting as well. Actually, people selling technology that will keep your data safe. You see, there's just so many uh, fascinating things you could get into here. I mean, like, you, we, it's probably out of, out of scope of this podcast today, but just the whole medical side of a, a technology advancements as well. I mean, I can now, when you say that, imagine a time where someone operates in, in their voice codes, a noise-canceling enhancement. Mm. So that you're permanently not being able to pick up by some of these devices. Exactly. You, you touched on a good point, uh, health. I, I think uh, uh, health and technology um, and the way we see advancements into personal technology that tracks your health, like smartwatches um, and uh, other devices, I, I think that's going to be um, a challenge for the for, for the next 10 years. I, I think we'll start seeing a lot more uh, uh, medical devices tracking uh, tracking you and um, and having those in your home I think we'll, we'll start seeing uh, like small diagnostics uh, devices the, that you'll have at home to, um, uh, to take care of your health I, th I think Bjorn, you're completely right there I think as a as far as kind of if we had a show of hands how many of us are working with health related design i think we're going to see a, a lot more hands rise up i mean it's because it's a pure numbers game in 10 years time um you know there's a world of baby boomers um born in the in like the, the 40s who are going to be seriously in need of 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 more health care and that means there'll be more demand like you say for some of these healthcare issues which means there'll be more design for these healthcare things so i think i think that's that's one of the few things we can probably with with great confidence predict for 2029 is that we're going to have a lot more UXs working with health. And me, myself, having worked with uh, health things for seven years now, I, I completely agree. It's just growing and growing and growing and, and suppliers are just struggling to get into this area all the time. Uh, well, one other thing that I think uh, is, is going to be massive in 10 years is um, the holistic design process and um, and uh, how um, nowadays we're working in service design, but uh, we're working in service design in in a way it's uh, tied to the uh, only to the company that hired us uh, to to do that. But uh, but companies are ever more uh, working with other companies, so. How does the experience evolve when there are other players um, in between? 
and uh, how do uh, the services of one company connect with the services of another company that they didn't even expect to be intertwined in the first place. So uh, mm. I think that's going to be a challenge. Well, I think um, we've pretty much wrapped up then 2029 and 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Spanning 20 years, 20 year challenge in the end. Yeah, there's, there's, there will be stuff for us to work on. That's, that's a definite. There are so many challenges out there and uh, it's impossible to know what direction we'll take. Uh, but the p important thing for me is that we'll actually keep being the voice of the users, the voice of the humans and being even more than human centric even human considerate i think no matter no matter what happens with the technology i think our role is still going to be as guardians mm. of of that interface between humans and machine thanks for joining us today bruno and helping us out with this topic thank you for having me Thank you for spending some time with us today. Um, as always, links and notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com. And if you want something to listen to next, um, my suggestions are episode 114, Zero UI, with Andy Goodman, and episode 186, Augmented Reality, with Boone Sheridan. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Robin. Robin who? Robin the piggy bank again. <laughs>